0: Hello
1: everybody, and welcome to Beyond 59 Seconds with your host, Professor Eugene Nipplebottom. So this is the first one of these we're going to do, and uh, it's called Beyond 59 Seconds because it's going to last a little bit longer than 59 seconds, which is uh, the length that uh, my uh, TikTok videos last. Uh, the way it's going to work is all I'll do is pick one or two of the videos that I've done through the week previous or weeks previous and uh, and go a little more in depth into them. Uh, so if you'd like to put a suggestion forward, uh, please email at CEO of did you know at gmail.com and I'll see what I can do for you. Uh, if you want to follow me on any social medias, that is uh, Professor underscore nipple underscore bottom. Uh, nipple is only spelt with one P. Um, So, yeah, follow me on there, and uh, then we'll go from there. Uh, This is all very new, so any suggestions, tips, hints, uh, anything like that, please email it over. I'm uh, always willing to listen to constructive criticisms. Just don't be mean. I have a thin skin. (laughs) So, today we are going to talk about Olga of Kiev... Uh, She would become a saint later on, but we will talk about that later, so you may know her as Olga of Kiev. Now, she was married to Igor of Kiev, not the, uh, yes, master. That was actually Igor, but Igor of Kiev. Now, he was actually a rather formidable man. He actually uh, twice besieged Constantinople in 941 and 944. Which is no small task, let me tell you. Just, just ask any of the crusaders; they, they will tell you. Well, I suppose they're all dead, but you, you know what I mean. Read a crusader's book, then you'll know Constantinople is not the easiest place. So. Igor, was, he was a formidable man. There's not as much known about him because uh, they think that a lot of things that were made up about him uh, were well, just that, made up about him. Uh, they believe that he may have uh, been involved in a lot of other things. Uh, where are they? Uh, in the uh, Caspian expeditions of the Rus. But it remains unclear whether he actually had anything to do with these campaigns. Uh, so we won't go too much into those. But... Igor used to collect tributes from people known as the Drevlans. This was in 945. Now, he won- one time he went there, he twice went to collect a tribute from the Drevlings, uh in one month. He was supposed to turn out once a month. He went twice in one month and they killed him for it. Yep. Now, this is going from me, the Byzantine historian, Leo the Deacon. Now, he describes how Igor met his death. Now, he says, and I quote, They bent down two birch trees to the prince's feet and tied them to his legs. They then let the tree straighten again, thus tearing the prince's body apart. Wow, what a way to go. I mean, it's inventive. I mean, humans do come up with rather insane ways to kill each other. It's, in, it's ingenuitive, I must say. I mean, it's a little scary, but uh, people are evil. What can I say? And that one is particularly good. Can you imagine the whip on a birch tree that's been bent down? I imagine they were only smaller birch trees, but still. going to tell you a thunder. Jesus. So, Olga found out that her husband and beloved uh, father of her children, Igor of Kiev, had been murdered. And to say she was angry was, uh, it would be a little bit of an understatement. Uh, she was not very happy about it. Um, so, well, and what happens next is, uh, is rather strange. In fact, the, uh, the Drevlins actually sent 20 people to go and talk to Olga to try and convince her to marry. The man basically had just orchestrated the murder of her husband. It was an attempt to unite the kingdoms, uh, to give the Byzantine Empire uh, more power. So uh, the relationship between the Drevlins and the Kievian Rus was very complex. Now, they had actually joined the Rus in military campaigns against the Byzantine Empire and paid tribute to Igor's predecessors. But it actually stopped in 912 when the previous prince died and instead played this glorified protection money to a local warlord. Yeah, now Igor attempted to restore the privileges, which he did, which is when he came back twice in one month and they were like, no, we're going to rip you apart with a birch tree crazy so in the end they send 20 people to go and uh, to go and ask olga to marry their prince to give them more power so uh, she lets them in and she tells them to go and wait in their boats momentarily uh, and what she does she gets people to come up, up to them and uh, basically knock them unconscious and then bury them alive she had a duck dick whilst they're waiting in their boats she had a ditch dug and then the next morning she had the emissary Buried alive. So you'd think, well, she got a revenge on that one. That wasn't too bad. Going well done, Olga. That oh, nice. But uh, she wasn't finished there. She actually sent back word that she would accept the marriage proposal. And uh, she wanted some uh, some noblemen to be sent to her side to take her back to what would become her new kingdom. For some reason, the Drevlins were just like, well, you know, we didn't see. Where are the where are the first 20 men? I don't know if they asked Doesn't say. Isn't clear. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, they didn't bother following up with the other 20 who were buried alive. So they sent more. And this time it was noblemen. They actually sent a load of noblemen out and they turned up to uh, to try and take Olga back. Now, since he, he sent the party of chieftains to collect her, extending a subtly grand welcome, she invited the visitors to wash up in her bathhouse. She then locked the door and burned the entire company alive. Wow. <laughs> I mean, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, I think may have, uh, may have come about from this. So she's buried 20 alive, and then she has a bunch of noblemen, high-ups, uh, chieftains of the tribe who killed her husband, and she... Burns them alive after burying the others alive. So she then goes on to tell the people, the Drevlins, that she's actually going to come over and it's, everything's fine and that she's coming over to them and they should get a celebratory feast going. So instead of the Drevlins saying, Well, you know what, we've sent 20 men and some noblemen, where are they? Well, maybe just a heads up and a nod from them that it's all okay and we can come and we'll get this feast going and a nice wedding's going to happen. No, no. Instead, they just decided to have the uh, have the meal, and when everyone was good and drunk on a bit of mead, old Olga, well, she sent her, uh, she sent uh, her men in, and they actually slaughtered five thousand people at this feast that was supposed to be a celebration. Not much there to celebrate, though, really, is it? She was. Uh, she was absolutely brutal with that one. Yes, yeah, so I waited till they was all having fun, and then their soldiers put 50,000 to this 5,000, sorry, to the sword. But even this was not enough to satiate her need for vengeance. Now, Olga then gathered an army to wipe out her foes for good. The surviving drevlins begged for mercy and offered to pay in honey and furs to escape her anger. Now, she seemed to soften to this, and uh, well, by this point you'd think, well, you know what, maybe she's had enough bloodlust we'll see what happens now she actually is quoted as saying give me three pigeons now this uh, and three sparrows from each house i do not desire to impose a heavy tribute like my husband but i require only this small gift from you for you are impoverished by the siege so she's asked them for three pigeons and three sparrows which I mean, do people people just keep sparrows and pigeons lying around them? I mean, I don't now. I mean, if she'd asked for that now, I'd rather give her money. I don't have pigeons or sparrows. Oh, well. So, uh, yeah, basically, she's trying to soften the blow. Says my husband tried to take too much. I understand. That's why he got killed. You just give me these birds. and, uh, And that's enough. Thank you very much. But that was not exactly what happened. Now, uh... The Chronicle records in great deal the feat of precision-guided pyromania that followed. Now I'm reading this as a qu- in quotation marks as it comes from the Chronicle. Now, now Olga gave each soldier in our army a pigeon or a sparrow and ordered them to attach by thread to each pigeon and sparrow a piece of sulfur bound with a small piece of cloth. When night fell, Olga bade her soldiers release bade her soldiers to release the pigeons and the sparrows, so the birds flew to their nests. The pigeons and the coats and the sparrows under the eaves. The dovecoats, the coops, the porches, and the haymos were all set on fire. There was not a house that was not consumed and it was impossible to distinguish the flames because all the houses caught on fire at once. The people fled from the city and Olga ordered her soldiers to catch them. Thus she took the city and burned it and captured the elders of the city. Some of the other captives she killed while some she gave as others to slaves to her followers. The remainant she left to pay tribute. Wowzers. Now, so... I mean, the, the feat of ingenuity to do that and, well, all-round level of sadism is absolutely fantastic. To take a small bird and put it with cloth and sulfur, which you know is going to set fire, and then send them back to their homes is just genius, especially as back then there was obviously hay and a lot of uh, wood, and that was pretty much what everything was made of. Um, So yeah, it would have gone up like wildfire, I suppose is probably the the correct terminology to use there. So it actually went up in wildfire. Now, the Drevlins paid the biggest price uh, after killing Igor. They paid with their lives, their homes, and uh, in tribute to the Kivian Rus. So you might be asking yourselves, I mentioned at the start that Olga was actually a saint. Yep. She is she was sainted one thousand years after her death. she was canonized by the by the church and you may be asking why was it for these brutal murders? uh no, it wasn't. It was actually because um she brought Christianity over to that region so I mean if you're tipping it on a scale, she killed thousands and thousands of people, but she did bring them Christianity so swings and roundabouts, I suppose. <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, the only thing she couldn't—she only thing she couldn't do was actually change her own son to a Christian, who actually remained a pagan, which was actually a uh, rather hurtful thing for her. But uh, what can you do? You can't make your kids follow the religion you do. Well, actually, I bet a lot of people do. Ah oh, well. So yes, there it is. There is Olga, the revengeful saint. I need to think of a cool name for her. Olga the saint's cool, but it's not cool enough. The vengeful saint of. Kiev. No, that wasn't good either. Ah, oh, well, never mind. I could spend hours trying to think of a cool name, and I'm never going to, so well, let's move on to the next one. We are going to go for another famous Russian. I know that Russia wasn't about when Olga was there, but it's the same region, so get off my back. So we're gonna talk about Grigori Rasputin. Yes! Now, Grigory Rasputin! He was actually born as a peasant into a peasant family in the Serbian, Serbian village of Pokroyskyov. Now he had a religious conversion experience after taking a pilgrim to a monastery in 1897. He has been described as a monk or a holy man, though he held no official position in the Russian Orthodox Church. He actually found religion at a very young age, and there were actually rumours circulating throughout his village that he actually had mystical powers. Ha ha ha! Crazy gregory eh? Now he actually fathered, he went on to father several children and got married, but he decided to abandon his family and leave uh, to go for a life of piety and uh, religious teachings. I think he realised that he was quite a charismatic man that managed to bend people to his will and decided, uh, no, no, family life's not for me. he decided to dip and see where his religious lifestyle would take him well funny enough it actually took him to St. Petersburg in or around 1903 to 1905 where he captivated some church and social leaders he became a society figure and actually met with Emperor Nicholas and Empress Alexandra in November of 1905 now he was Tsar Nicholas yes the leader of Russia then in late 1906 Rasputin began acting as a healer for the imperial couple's son Alexei who suffered from haemophilia now he actually managed to stop the son from bleeding and people had absolutely no idea how he'd actually managed to do it historians today actually believe that it was because he forbade the giving of aspirin to the child and aspirin is a known blood thinner so they believe this is actually what uh, what stopped the bleeding from the young man. That he was actually a divisive figure at court, and he was seen by some Russians as a mystic, a visionary, and a prophet. But others saw him as a religious charlatan, yeah. Now, the high point of the Rasputin's power was in 1915 when Nicholas II left St. Petersburg to oversee Russian armies fighting in World War I, increasing both Alexandra and Rasputin's influence. But when Russian defeats began to mount in the war, Rasputin and Alexandria both became rather unpopular. Now, did you know that uh, Rasputin was actually rumoured to be rather a sexual deviant who drank to excess visited brothels and even is said to have been sleeping with Alexandra, the Tsar's wife? Now, there is uh, a lot of chatter from some historians that some actually believe that he was influenced by the Kleist religious sect, which means basically doing all these uh, sexual acts and being a deviant uh, would actually bring you closer to God and make you more of a holy man. Well, where is this religion? Are you, can we still sign up? Is it, is it still going, or no? No, it's finished. No, I mind. Um, as, as I said before, some people thought he was a, a mystic, a healer, and had powers. And actually, this was uh, fire to the, this was uh, petrol on the flames when he was actually stabbed by a beggar woman in the stomach, who uh, shouted at him that he was seducing the innocent. Now, he actually lost a crazy amount of blood because the stomach is not a good place to be stabbed. Nowhere's a good place to be stabbed, but the stomach is particularly bad. So he got not as bad as the heart. But he got stabbed in the stomach and lost a hell of a lot of blood. But somehow he actually managed to make a full recovery, uh, which led even more people to think that he had some kind of mystical powers and was actually almost impossible to kill. That was... Up until the 30th of December, 1916, when Rasputin was actually assassinated by a group of conservative noblemen who opposed his influence over Alexandra and Nicholas the Star. Now, the story of Rasputin's murder has been told many different ways. I'm going to give you the most exaggerated story uh, that I've heard, uh, that is written, and then I'll tell you what people actually think happened. So the noblemen is uh, said to have invited Rasputin round for dinner and laced the food and all the cakes with cyanide, uh, to which when they sat there to watch Rasputin choking and dying, apparently none of this happened, and he just sat there and showed absolutely no signs of poisoning whatsoever. So they had to come up with another plan. Now the plan was to shoot him. So uh, one of the noblemen pulled a... Uh, pulled a rifle and uh, or pulled a weapon, a gun of some kind and and said, say your prayers and shot Rasputin in the stomach, leaving him dead, leaving him in the room for dead. They then left. Apparently, they came back to the room later on. And as they walked in, expecting to clear Rasputin's dead body out, Rasputin leapt from the floor, attempting to kill and chasing the three noblemen around. They then managed to bludgeon. Rasputin and shoot him several more times now they then said that he still managed to draw breath so they rolled him up and they threw him into an icy river where he apparently drowned now the story does go on to say there's a version where they said that there was footprints seen leaving the ice there was also another story uh, that says a, uh, a group of bystanders actually pulled Rasputin out of the river and he was not dead he only eventually succumbed to hypothermia Yeah, which seems rather far-fetched, as you can probably imagine. But the real story, or as historians historians believe it today, is that the Rasputin wasn't actually poisoned at all. Um, There was no signs of poisoning in his blood upon the autopsy, and apparently the only bullet wound was a single bullet wound to the head. So it sounds more like the nobleman invited Rasputin round for dinner, and then shot him in the head and threw him in a river, which... It's just an old school execution, isn't it? That's, that, that's the way they do it. But the story itself is fantastic, and uh, I really love it as well. Not only that, the best part of Rasputin is the fact that he is uh, rumoured to have had around a 13-inch member, which is now uh, apparently on display in a Russian uh, sex museum, which fascinates and scares me at the same time. So, which leads me to my next point. Uh, if we'd like to have a whip round, I want to visit the uh, the museum in Russia. Do a professor live next to Rasputin's large ding dong. How's that sound? We do one of those. I'd love that. That'd be amazing. Uh, I think I'm going to end on that. You don't get any bigger or better than Rasputin's penis. So we're going to end on that one. Uh, As I said, I'm going to keep these ones shorter. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you probably know that they do tend to go a bit long. But this one, I'm on my own. I'm on my own. I'm set in a garage. I've got a couple of beers. I've got got some paperwork and a microphone. This is it. Just me here. Uh, I'd love some ideas, suggestions. If you think I need to get people in, I was planning to get people in, uh, but more of a not a regular each week guest. I was just going to get different people in. Maybe when uh, we're not so locked down, I can get some some actual people who know some good knowledge to come in here. I was thinking about getting my missus in on a couple. I could even uh, maybe get some of you guys in. Do a Skype show uh, where I get some of you guys to come in and we can discuss live some of the videos I've done in the week. These are all just ideas I'm putting out there because I'm just desperate to make this work. I love entertaining you people and I love the fact that some of you actually seem to really enjoy it. So... Uh, Thank you to everybody who's listened to this. Um, Again, uh, I'd like suggestions on what video to do, because otherwise I'm just going to do the ones I want to do. I didn't put much research into this more than what I'd already just... I knew these two anyway, so it was easy for me to do. Uh, But I definitely would like to go a bit in more depth. I'm looking to make these between half an hour and 45 minutes. This one's only going to be around 20 minutes, so I'm guessing it's going to take me around 10 to 15 minutes to cover a small subject. Uh, If you'd really like me to go dive on in on a subject, uh, let me know and I can do a full subject in one thing. Uh, But for now, I feel I'm just waffling. I want to make it up to 20 minutes. We're not far away. So here we are. Uh, But so on social media, it's Professor underscore nipple underscore bottom nipple is spelt with one P. But I'm sure you know that because you would have seen that before you saw this. So. Um, I will get these up on video uh, eventually, and I'm hoping maybe we can start live streaming it on TikTok so you guys can actually ask questions live on the show, but we'll see how that goes. It might be a bit of a a nightmare, but we'll see. I also have another podcast. This podcast I'm on now is going to be as family friendly as possible, there might be a little bit of suggestive humour, but if there are any swears that drop in, I will edit them out. Uh, I am determined to keep this one as family friendly as is possible. Uh, but my other podcast, The Prof Pod, A History of Last Week, is not family friendly. If uh, if you like to see what Professor Pottymouth is like, uh, I sit here with one of my good friends, Mr Jim, uh, and we go over the history of the week before Uh, all the events that have happened. uh, We have a few beers, we get loud, we get rude, we giggle, we say inappropriate stuff in the name of fun. I enjoy it, so I'm going to carry on doing it, uh, and hopefully we can build an audience over time. Um, I will start advertising this podcast on every one of my more in-depth videos than I do in the hopes to try and drive some traffic towards it and get more of you people listening. But you'd be doing me a huge favor if you could rate, subscribe, uh, leave a review. Uh, if you want a shout out or anything, I could do that. It's early days. So uh, if you want to get in on the ground floor, then yeah, email me, ceo of did you know at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, there is a link to buy merch on uh, on all of my social medias. At the minute, it's just Did You Know Professor stuff, but I am going to start getting some Little Nips merch, I'm going to get some Beyond 59 Seconds merch, some History of Last Week merch. We're going to get as much as we can in there, uh, in the hopes to try and sell some and actually make some some money off these hours and hours of research I do every week for nothing. <laughs> no, I'm going, I have fun, I have fun, and if I can make a career out of it, all the better. So, uh, I should have maybe thought of a different sign-off to what I use on my other one, but uh, I'm not going to. Oh, no, I'm going to. I'm going to make one up on the spot. So, here we go. Ah, uh, this has been Beyond 59 Seconds. You little nips rock and I... Kiss... No, 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 can't do things on the spot. I'm just going to do my normal. This has been Beyond 59 Seconds with Professor Nibblebottom. Bottom. I'll see you little nips next week. Mwah!